Now, I'm going to, at this stage in the service, ask my wife to bring a word of testimony. I thought it would be a pity for her to travel all of these miles and you not to hear of what the Lord has done for her. So we'll ask her to come forward, please. Before the, the meeting, uh, Jean was playing that hymn, Great is, Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God, my Father. And I can truly say that the Lord has been faithful to me. He changes not. His compassions, they fail not. Uh, well, uh, there's a verse of Scripture in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that sums up my testimony. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. My father, he was saved just a month before I was born, and then my mother one month after I was born. So I had that great privilege of being brought up in a Christian home where my parents truly knew the Lord as their saviour, and they had a desire uh, to serve the Lord and to live for him. When they got saved... Uh, we were uh, we were living in a little place called Carry Duff. It's about uh, probably about I'm not really sure about 20 kilometres from Belfast, and that's where Dr. McClelland and his wife also came from around that area, and also Colin and his sister Isabel and their parents. They lived in Carry Duff before they moved here to Canada. So Northern Ireland is a very small place, very small place. But I had that great privilege of being brought up in that Christian home. And my parents, they, when they were very young Christians, they got involved in the Lord's work. They started to attend the prayer meetings and to give out gospel tracts. And then when I was one year old, we moved to Belfast to live. My father was a baker and... The question was, where would we go to church? They had been attending a Baptist church when they first got saved. And uh, uh, my sister, who was three, I was one, my sister was three. Daddy took Olive round. There were about six churches in our neighbourhood. And Daddy took Olive by the hand and to see where she would like to go to Sunday school. And she came, they came to one building, very simple building, set back from the road, and uh, Olive said, that's where I want to go to Sunday school. And that turned out to be Mount Marion Free Presbyterian Church. The Lord was leading and guiding my parents even then. And so when we were taken to Sunday school and to church services and uh, children's meetings during the week, and we were taught that we were sinners, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and if ever we wanted to be in heaven, we needed to be born again of the Spirit of God. That when we're born into this world, we're born into our parents' family, but, but uh, we need to be born into God's family. We need to be born again. We need to be saved. And so we were taught that we were sinners. We were on our way to hell. Because our parents were saved didn't mean to say that we were saved. No, we were Sinners, and we needed to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour. So, as a very young child, I remember uh, the first hymn I ever remember singing or 
everyone singing was, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And also I received a Sunday school prize. I think it was just about three or four. And on that picture, the, the verse said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. First Timothy chapter one, verse 15. And so there was no doubt in my mind that I needed to be saved if I was ever going to be in heaven. And so as a very young child, I was still a young child, I trusted the Lord as my saviour. I prayed that simple little prayer, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And I believe the Lord did come in that day. He took away my sins and uh, he has been with me throughout my life. He has given me a desire for the word of God and the place of prayer. And I know that he loves me and I don't love him as well as as much as I should, but we love him because he first loved us. And so as I grew up, the Lord was with me throughout my school life. And when I was 14, we had moved by this time to the Martyrs Memorial Church, which had just opened. And um, the Lord spoke to me in different meetings about surrendering my whole life to the Lord, to give my whole self to him and for whatever he would have me to do. And I prayed, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And Dr. Paisley, our minister, he always encouraged our young people to get involved in the, to come to the prayer meetings, to get involved in the door-to-door outreach work and the youth fellowship and all the meetings of the church. And we had great fellowship in those days. The Lord was with us. And the Lord showed me clearly, I believed, that he wanted me to be a nurse. And so... uh, I prayed on that first day, Lord, give me a Christian friend. It's so essential, young people especially, that you have Christian friends and ask the Lord to give you those Christian friends who will encourage you and be a blessing to you and you can be a blessing to them. And on that very first day, the Lord answered my prayer and right away, more or less, um, the first nurse really, other student that I met was a girl called Joan Edgar, and she is now the Reverend John Greer's wife, and we have been friends over the years. The Lord does hear and answer prayer. He's a great God. And then, uh, as we went to the, as I went to the martyrs, went to the meetings and uh, outreach youth fellowship meetings, there was a young man who always seemed to cross my path, <laughs> and uh, I had he was saved two days after the Martyrs Memorial Church was opened and I had watched him growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. I could hear, uh, he prayed in the prayer meetings. I remember thinking, that's the sort of young man I would like to marry one day. And so uh, eventually he asked me out and in due time we got married and the Lord has blessed us with three children, a boy and two girls and we now have a little grandson who's nine months old, and our family all know the Lord as Saviour, and they're seeking to walk with him. Well, we were very happy. I was When we got married, I was now a, a registered nurse and a midwife, and my husband was a joiner, a carpenter, and we were very happy and serving the Lord, different meetings we would go to, and my husband would 
speak or give his testimony. And, but eventually, the Lord spoke to my husband regarding going into the ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. And so he studied for the necessary exams and entered the um, college, which is now the Whitfield College of the Bible. Well, I was happy for him to be a minister, but I wasn't happy to be a minister's wife. I don't know what I thought a minister's wife should be, but I didn't feel that I was the right uh, person. I wasn't capable of that. But the Lord brought me to the place where I surrendered everything to him, and and, uh, we know that God's will is good and perfect and acceptable. And the Lord has blessed us down through the years in the churches that we've been in. And um, I also didn't say that uh, when I was three, my brother was born, and he's the Reverend Stephen Hamilton up in Pennsylvania. And we also have another younger sister as well. But um, whenever you're going through life, it's not just all a bed of roses. Uh, There's a hymn, I don't know if you know it or not, it's not an easy road, we are travelling to heaven, and many are the thorns by the way, but Jesus walks beside us and brightens the journey and lightens every heavy load. It's not an easy road, but we have one who said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And that verse I used to tell the children in Sunday school, you can say it backwards, it's about the only verse I know you can say backwards, Thee forsake, nor thee leave, never will I. And to me, that means the same thing. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And my verses, actually my most favourite verses, were read tonight. I didn't know my husband was going to read them. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And the Lord has given me great peace down through the years, but especially last year, last March 2021, very suddenly, unexpectedly, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And the Lord just gave me great peace and just contentment, just in resting in, in him. And uh, the Lord was with me through my surgery and radio, radiotherapy. And I can say, what a wonderful saviour is Jesus, my Lord. And if you're not saved here tonight, I would urge you to trust the Lord as your saviour now, because we don't know what a day may bring forth. Sorry, I'm quite nervous. <laughs> uh, but I would like to thank everyone here for your kindness toward us while we've been here in Cloverdale. The fellowship has been wonderful, and you know I think it's, it's terrific. No matter where you are in the world, when you meet with other believers, no matter where they're from, when you've just have that bond, and we're just we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're just one, and it's just wonderful to have the Lord as our Savior. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Yvonne, for giving those words of testimony. Uh, How good to know the Lord Jesus as one Savior early in life. It is the best time to cast your anchor in the solid rock when you're a child. 
to know the Lord in your childhood is not only a soul saved, it's a life saved. And I pray that all the young in this congregation and listening to this service this evening will seek the Lord early. It can never be too early to come to the Savior. The hymn 607, while the offering is received, 607, a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. I'm sure the hymn's familiar, and let's all join in singing, keeping our seats as the offering is received. Savior is Jesus, my Lord. We'll stand as we sing. <clears throat>
have the announcements, please. You may be seated. Good evening, good evening, everyone. It's good to see you here. Remember our refreshments after the service. We're thankful that we can gather together and uh, we'll meet downstairs for a good time of fellowship. Remember our prayer time in the middle of the week. Remember the ladies' meeting on Tuesday. And the services next Sunday will be at the same times. We know the times. And in the evening, we will have our pastor, Reverend Priestley, will bring his testimony. So we'll look forward to that. So, Lord bless. And that's Thank enough. You. Thank you very much. Let us turn to the Word of God in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, please. And we will commence to read at verse 8. Philippians chapter 4 and the verse 8. Where Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Ending here at the verse 13, may the Lord be pleased to bless the reading of his word to us, everyone. Let us for a moment seek the Lord again as we come to his own word. Our loving Father, We pray now as we come to thy word that the words of our lips and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Speak to each of our hearts as we linger on in thy presence. We pray that the Holy Spirit will come upon us and we will know divine enabling to bring forth the word of the living God. Lord, meet spiritual needs 
through thy word as it is preached just now. We ask it in the Savior's worthy name. Amen. In the verse 11, Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Society tonight is ill at ease. Unrest, unhappiness, a continual quest for something more eats away at the human heart. The I, the I want more syndrome is so prevalent. It's expressed in the words of the poem, I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. Then my life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Contentment is so elusive. So many search for it but draw a blank. One of the Puritans, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Burroughs, he preached a sermon on what he called the rare jewel of Christian contentment. Contentment eludes so many, but it was enjoyed by the Apostle Paul. In and through all the trials, the tribulations of his service for Christ, in the school of Christian discipleship, he learned to be content. Life is a learning curve. We must always be learning. And here is something that we must learn. May contentment be stamped on our lives. This rare jewel, you should not only prize it, but possess it. Let us consider our text together in three ways. First of all, contentment, its surroundings. When Paul tells us that he learned to be content— he is not saying that he was oblivious of or indifferent to the circumstances that he found himself in. That clearly was not the case. We know just how sensitive Paul was to his bodily sickness and weakness. Three times he prayed to be delivered from the thorn in the flesh. Paul felt the opposition and the fury of the enemies of the cross. He felt it ever so keenly. 
He prayed to be delivered from the hands of unreasonable and wicked men. This spirit of contentment in the apostle is all the more noteworthy when we consider his surroundings, his circumstances. The word state in our text, it speaks of circumstances. And so, what were they as far as Paul was concerned? He explains in verse 12, I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. So, there were circumstances in Paul's life that were abasing. The word means to, to humble, to make low. The word is used sometimes of a river in a period of drought. It's running low. And at this point, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi not from plush surroundings. He is writing from his own hired house, and he is in chains of imprisonment. He does not have a servant waiting on him. He has a soldier watching his every move. The river of life was running low. The circumstances for this servant of God were hard. They were ever so hard. We know that Paul suffered the loss of all things for Christ's sake. He knew what it was to be afflicted and oppressed, to be persecuted and in pain, to be destitute and hungry, to be beaten to the end of his life and left for dead. Often he was abased. The river of his life ran low. As far as man's reckoning is concerned, it ran low of any comfort or pleasantries. But he also speaks then of circumstances that were the opposite, that were abounding. He says in verse 12, I know how to abound. Here's a river that is overflowing. We know that Paul was educated under Gamaliel. That would have been a costly school to attend, and it points to a well-to-do upbringing. Paul was a Pharisee with all the attending grandeur that went along with that position. And in this sense, he knew how to abound. The place of plenty is more precarious than the place of poverty. Remember how it was with the church at Laodicea. 
there in Revelation 3 and verse 17. It's written of these believers that they were rich. They reckoned themselves rich and increased with goods, and how they, were, they saw themselves as being in need of nothing. They were abounding. They were in the midst of plenty. And what happened? They forgot the Lord. As far as the Lord was concerned, they were neither cold nor hot. They were thoroughly indifferent. A piece of paper was sent up to George Whitfield's pulpit, and it had the message, a young man who has lately inherited a fortune. He requests the prayers of the congregation. And how appropriate that such a request should be made. For so many, when they abound, when they are full, they forget God. We have the example of Jeshurun in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 15. Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. All of those phrases depict prosperity, advancement, well-being. But what happened to this man? The verse goes on, then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. In the midst of his fatness, in the midst of plentitude, he forgot the Lord. Paul found himself in fluctuating circumstances, in life's ups and downs, he was not a victim, but a victor. Whatever the situation, whether on the mountaintop or in the valley, Paul knew contentment. A Christian asked his friend how he was getting along, and the reply came, Oh, fairly well under the circumstances. I'm sorry, said the inquirer, that you are living under the circumstances. Paul didn't live that way. He lived above his surroundings instead of being under them. Whether he was abounding or whether he was abased, he was living above his surroundings. Contentment and its surroundings. But secondly, we consider contentment and its source. It doesn't have a natural source. Isn't it true that the soil naturally grows weeds? and briars, 
and thistles and nettles and so on. They grow without coaxing. It's just a natural thing, and it's second nature for the heart of man to produce the spirit of murmuring and complaining, discontentment. It's natural. The Israelites, when things were not to their pleasing, they murmured against Moses and against the Lord. Paul recalls that fact in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10, when he says to these believers in Corinth, "'Nether murmur ye as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer.'" He's thinking of the murmuring spirit that was so prevalent in the day of Moses. And some will excuse such a spirit and say, well, it's only human. Yes, it is human. It's natural. It was natural for Alexander the Great, having the world at his feet, to cry out for another world to conquer. It was natural for Ahab, the king of Israel, to long to have Naboth's vineyard. He wanted it for a garden of herbs. The old spirit of discontentment is present in our hearts naturally. It cries, give, give, more, more. But Paul tells us, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And contentment has a spiritual source. The verb learned means to learn by experience. In the ups and downs, the burdens and the blessings of his life, Paul learned how to be content. The word content means contained. It describes someone whose sources are resources are within, so that they do not have to depend on that which is without. And Paul lets us into the secret source of contentment here in chapter 4. Look at verse 13, where he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The source of contentment is the power of God. The vital source of the huge tree is hidden. Go out at the front of the church and look at the oak tree. It's a grand specimen, but its vital source is hidden to my eye and yours. Its root system is its secret. And the secret of Christian contentment is hidden. 
It's in the Lord. Strengtheneth. The word means to enable. The Lord is the true vine. We're taught in John 15. And we're taught that we are the branches of the vine. It is the vine, the parent vine, that enables the branch to bear fruit. And in every circumstance, the Christian can draw from Christ the grace to help, the strength to sustain. Without the Lord, you and I can do nothing. But through Christ, Paul said, I can do all things. Its source is in the power of God, and contentment, its source, is in the providence of God. This was a time of need for Paul. As we have said, he was a prisoner in his own hired home, in chains. And the church at Philippi responded in a loving, a generous, caring way. They provided for him. We see that in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Despite their opportunities, their meager resources, they furnished Paul with 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 their care. They provided for him. And in and through all of this, Paul sees a higher hand. For he opens verse 10 with the phrase, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He can see behind all of this care the hand of God's providence. The Lord moved the hearts of these believers in Philippi to respond to the need of the apostle. And so the hand of providence is here at work. Joseph's life is a wonderful illustration of God's providential ways. Those brothers of Joseph they sold him off as a slave to Egypt. But that wicked, cruel deed was overruled. Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. He saw that the seven years of famine would be followed, that they would follow the seven years of plenty. And Joseph wisely filled in the years of plenty, he filled the storehouses with grain. And when eventually reunited with his brothers, he reasoned with them in the beautiful words of Genesis 45, verses 4, 5, and 8. Genesis 45, Joseph said unto his brethren, his brothers, come near to me, I pray you, 
And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. He acknowledges the providential hand. Verse 8, So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Joseph can trace the hand of providence, a higher hand than that of his brothers. Life is not a series of accidents. It's a series, a series of appointments. The Lord doth go before his sheep, John 10 and verse 4, and he leads the way. This is the providence of God, and it's a wonderful it's a wonderful source of contentment. Jeremiah Burroughs defines it as that inward, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. O trusting in the power and the providence of God, let us, like Paul, learn to be content. And then lastly, contentment and its satisfaction. The Oxford Dictionary defines contentment as a satisfied state. And when you look at people's feverish activity in accumulating much of the world's goods, you would think that true satisfaction hinged on those things. That's not what the Lord tells us in Luke chapter 12 and the verse 15. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Or in other words, this world's goods can never satisfy the heart and the soul. We know that Solomon put all that the world had to offer to the test. We could say that a thousand streams emptied themselves into his cup of prosperity. No earthly joy was kept from Solomon. But here is his conclusion. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. Or in other words, all is full of emptiness. Proverbs 14 and verse 14, the second part of the verse, 
says, a good man shall be satisfied from himself or from within. The godly have a source of satisfaction that is not external. It is not dependent on events. All our springs are in the Lord. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10, he makes paradoxical statements. He says, as he says, as being sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich. He says, I am as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. How can one say with one breath, as having nothing, and with the next breath, saying, I possess all things. Paul could make those statements because he knew the Lord. And having Christ in our hearts is everything. A short-term missionary on the final day in a leper colony, he asked for a favorite hymn. And a lady, terribly disfigured by the disease of leprosy, she raised her fingerless hand, and she said to the missionary, Sing, count your blessings. The missionary started the hymn, but could not finish it. Someone commented later, I suppose you'll never be able to sing that hymn again. And the missionary said, I'll sing it, but not as before. A lasting impression had been made. Despite all the circumstances that he faced in his service for the Master, he said, and in through it all, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content, solid joys and lasting pleasures, none but science children know. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Have you gained? Or are you still at a loss? You have not discovered the secret source of real life. You have not been to the cross. You do not know the Savior. Isaiah chapter 57 and its closing verses tells us that the wicked, the ungodly, are like the troubled sea, 
when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Oh, it is the Lord that shows us the path of life, as Psalm 16 and verse 11 explains. In thy presence is fullness of joy, At the Lord's right hand there are pleasures forevermore. He that hath the Son hath life. Are you that person? Do you have the Lord Jesus dwelling in your heart? Is he your great God and Savior? Oh, if not, We implore you, we plead with you in Christ's stead, be reconciled with God. Oh, that you would come to the fountain, the gospel fountain that is life-giving and free. Repent, repent of your sin. Break off with your sin and come as a poor lost soul to the Lord Jesus. He will receive you. He will pardon and relieve you of the burden and the guilt of your sin. Oh, may it be well with you as you leave the service this evening. We will join in singing the hymn number 352. 352. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace, over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth fuller every day, perfect yet it groweth deeper all the way. 352. Standing as we sing.
Lord, we know that the devil's purpose is to kill, is to steal, and to destroy. How we praise thee that thou hast come into the world to give life and that more abundantly. Lord, we praise thee that by thy matchless grace so many of us, our lives are bound up in the bundle of life with the Lord our God. We can say the King of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. And we pray that thou wilt keep us in thy school. Help us to learn in whatever state we are therewith to be content, to rest in our Redeemer, to rest and to lean on those everlasting arms. And we know that thou who dost uphold all things has upholding grace for our hour of need. We pray, O God, for those who have not cast anchor in the solid rock of Christ's gospel. Oh, we pray that thou wilt draw them irresistibly. May they come just as they are, waiting not to rid their soul of one dark blot. To thee, O Lamb of God, whose blood can cleanse each spot, we pray they will come. Accept our thanks for thy presence with us and for the good things prepared for bodily use. Help us to eat and drink to thy glory. We ask it in the Savior's name. Amen.